Hello, hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Power Up and Game. I'm your host, Michael, and with me, as always, is my main man, Taylor. Taylor, how you doing, buddy? I'll tell you what, Michael, I'm not doing too good, man. I am, uh, <laughs> my knee's a little busted up. I don't know what I did to it. You know, I guess I'm getting older. I'm having to deal with my mortality. Um, it's just been, it's been a tough week. So, let's talk about Skull and Bones. Oh my goodness, yes. We are, we man, we have a jam-packed show. Uh, yeah, we have a little bit of Skull and Bones news, some WB stuff, some life service stuff. We, we might as well call this a life service episode because we're going to have uh, plenty of plenty of talk about when it comes to live service games. So how about we go ahead and get right into our docket for today. WB Discovery has admitted that Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League hasn't met their expectations so far. Rainbow Six Siege's creative director believes the game could be around for a long, long time. Remedy has acquired their full rights to the Control franchise. Former Call of Duty dev David Vonderhaar is heading up a new studio that's working on a new AAA game. And for our main topic, well, Taylor, how about you go ahead and take it away? Don't mind if I do, Michael. And real quick, we just want to say that you can find sources for all the topics we're going over today down in the description of this episode. We do that to give out proper credit. And if anyone wants to read further about the stories we cover. Also, it's important to note that you should always take rumors or reports we cover with a grain of salt until they are officially confirmed or denied. Of course, some reports and rumors will be more reliable, but nothing is 100% in the gaming industry until it is properly announced, and sometimes, even then, it might get canned in the future. Lastly, we are just two dumb idiots who love playing video games and love talking about video games. These are just our opinions. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone on our team or over at the Nerd Stash. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything we're going to go over today, but please just try to remain respectful. With that disclaimer out of the way, here is our main topic of the week. Is Skull and Bones dead on arrival? Our main topic this week comes from Tom Henderson over at Insider Gaming. Here's what Henderson said in the report. Quote, Insider Gaming sources have revealed that Skull and Bones, which is dubbed as Ubisoft's first quadruple A game by its CEO, has less than 1 million players total. Speaking with sources, the game currently has around 850,000 players total at the time of this writing, which includes those who have opted to play the game with the 8 hour free trial provided by Ubisoft. At the moment, players are seemingly fairly engaged with the average player playing between 3 and 4 hours a day. However, whether or not that will change once the free trial expires, or if it will convert players into full purchases, remains to be seen. And we'll, won't likely get the data, we won't likely get the data until the company's next earnings call around May 2024. End quote. One employee who worked on the project would tell Henderson, quote, I think we all know this is a $30 to $40 game at best, but it's not in our control to determine those things, end quote. Skull and Bones finally launched just a few weeks ago after a lengthy decade-long development, but it seems like the game is struggling to stay afloat in the awfully risky multiplayer AAA, actually at this point it's quadruple A, uh, it's not surprising news, unfortunately, though. For a while now, talk around Skull and Bones has been overwhelmingly bleak at worst and confidently pessimistic at best. I think that's the best way to describe it. Do you have any thoughts on Skull and Bones struggling to find a player base? And do you think Ubisoft is going to let this game die a silent death? I don't think that we can say that it failed. I mean, having like 800 plus thousand, this also includes, of course, the uh, free trial, the eight hour trial that they let people play. So we don't know how many of that 800 plus thousand um, is actually from the free trial. But I would say that's a bit of success for season zero of a life service game. I, I got to push back immediately here. I think that's a huge. Okay. I, I think this is. Uh, looking like a huge flop 
Are you saying that because it's Ubisoft? This is a Ubisoft bat game that these its CEO said that this is a quadruple A title. There comes an expectation right. when you say that. I, I, I get that. I don't know why they would call it a triple A title. Like there are double A titles that does more than whatever the hell it is that hell see a thieves does more than whatever the hell it is that Skull and Bones is. Um so yeah, I get it that when you say quadruple A, uh you expect so much more than just I expect to be able to go outside my ship and actually do things. I know you can go into the bases and stuff like that yeah. on foot, but for you to not be able to have any combat outside of your ship is laughably bad. It is kind of ironic that the whole idea of pirates is freedom and the game restricts you hardcore. Like there's no freedom in the game about pirates. And they did the game better 10 years ago with Assassin's Creed 4. <laughs> Which everybody was going, just do that. Why, why are you even working so hard to make a worse product? Yeah, which is where Skull and Bulls came from. It was a it was a Black Flags game. And, and it's so weird that they would just go, hey, you know what? People love the ship combat, so let's just do that. Like, nothing else. Like, oh, that doesn't... No, people also love the whole idea of getting off the ship, too. And, you know, raiding ships. Like, yeah, we can do that in a cutscene. Uh, but 800,000... I think it's a respectable way to start. Yes, I'm sure they would love for it to be in the millions. Um, but, you know, in the, on the show, I've always said players' time is finite. You know, our cash flow is finite. You can't have 600 live service games microtransaction you to hell and back and expect people to just pour in money day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Like, something's going to have to give. And with so many better uh, live service games out there, I would say 800,000, even for a Ubisoft game, I would say that's pretty respectable to start off. Um, but yeah, I can see why anybody would be like, oh, it's called AAA, so 800,000 is a bit of a flop. I get that, especially with how long this game has been in development. Not only that, but I think you made kind of my point for me when you said like players' time is finite. It's finite. So yeah. you having not even a million players when your game first launches, which <laughs> should be where you have your peak player yeah. count, is not great. It's not great. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I get it. Hey, hey, hey but, but we, we've seen this before. Okay. We've seen it with other games. See if these struggled to get its footing too. And I'm not comparing, because well, they're both, you know, live service pirate games. You're, yeah. You're just. Because the obvious here, we're not saying like, yeah, CFTs. yeah. At this point, I thought we can both say CFTs pretty good success. They did a good job with it. See, yeah, see, these it turned things around to where it was from. There's nothing to do to wow. They have Pirates of the Caribbean in here. That's pretty cool. Yeah. With Ubisoft, they have the resources to do all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I just I say wait a little bit before we call it a flop. But is it a disappointment? Absolutely. Did we see this coming? Yes. It's eight hundred thousand way more than even I thought they were going to get. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I, I when I heard eight hundred thousand, I was surprised. Like, wow. Why are there so many people giving this a shot? And then of course I found out that oh, there's an eight hour free trial. I was like, okay, that that makes sense. I didn't waste my time with the trial because I already knew I wasn't going to enjoy the game. But uh, have you tried it, Taylor? Have you tried, uh, or, or are you going to at least try the uh, free trial out? I have seen a lot of gameplay for it. And I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. Okay. I was bored out of my mind. Yeah. It looks so boring. Uh, <laughs> I think the way you, I think the reason you feel probably more positive on this is probably because of how low expectations you had. <laughs> like the way you were saying that I was like man your expectations were really just in the gutter to whereas you heard that 800,000 what was it in the Insider Gamer Report exactly 850 I think yeah around yeah, 850,000 and you were like oh shit that's <laughs> double what I thought <laughs> yeah so, so that's if fair. I was like if <laughs> that's where you're going about it, but yeah, if I was the Ubisoft investor, I'd be like, "Oh wow, that's not bad." <laughs> that meant my that went above my expectations. So, so yeah, to have an inferior product to something you made years ago is laughably bad, and I just I I cannot understand how you put this out and uh, expect anything other than what's 
been the reception so far, especially considering its CEO said, hey, this is a quadruple-A quality game. If that's the case, I don't want to see another one. <laughs> I'm good yeah, with this being the only no quadruple-A game we ever see. Yeah, no more quadruple-A. Give me more Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Make that triple-A game. Don't, don't, don't do this anymore. If quadruple-A is code for live service, keep it. Anytime you say quadruple-A, I'm instantly out. But moving on to our next story here. While I can argue that the Rainbow Six story could be relevant to our overall conversation today, I'm going to hold off It is Ubisoft. Uh, But I do want to bring up a recent-ish story regarding another live service title that failed to meet its initial expectations, a game that was also released this year, (laughs) Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Uh, That's because WB Discovery says Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has fallen short of expectations. Now, for this next story, let's take a look at the Nerdstash's article on it from Danish to Leaf, who said, quote, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League had a rocky reception from its first reveal to its eventual release, and that hasn't changed after people got their hands on the game either. Warner Brothers Discovery admitted during a financial call that the game was a disappointment. Chief Financial Officer Gunnar Wiedenfels said that the Rocksteady developed Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has fallen short of our expectations in terms of sales. End quote. And real quick, just for the full picture, here's the actual quote from Wiedenfels. Quote, This year, Suicide Squad, one of our key video game releases in 2024, has fallen short of our expectations since its release earlier in the quarter, setting our games our games business up for a tough year-over-year comp in Q1, end quote. But let's get back to Danish's write-up. Quote, This is a gross understatement because Warner Brothers had planned on the game being a live-service title with a long life and a lot of engagement from players. What actually happened was quite the opposite, because at the time of this writing, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has under 600 concurrent players currently swinging, teleporting, jumping, and flying around in Metropolis. Wiedenfels said that the failure makes this a tough year when compared to last year. The dichotomy of last year's massive success of Hogwarts Legacy which ended up being the highest-selling game of 2023, and this year's fizzling release of Suicide Squad is ironic, to say the least. The internal pressures of switching to games-as-a-service titles for higher profits aren't panning out. Although the sales figures for Suicide Squad weren't released, it was likely far below expectations. This doesn't come as a shock. The developers aimed to deliver something that went to the exact opposite direction that fans wanted. That is precisely what happened with Suicide Squad. After setting a masterclass in superhero games for the Batman Arkham series, this switch to a derivative and uninspired title was at fault from the ideation stage and fans were vocal about it. Regardless, Rocksteady and WB have a lot of plans in the long term for Suicide Squad. With more villains, missions, and story beats on the way, no one knows how the game will end up. What we do know for sure is that Batman is somehow related to the story's feature, and the Joker is going to join the rogues gallery as well at some point. End quote. Michael, what's your take on this story specifically? Jeez Louise, that is a whole lot just to say that this game was exactly what players thought it was. And <laughs> That's true, though. we did not I mean, learn our lesson. <laughs> it, Danish got it all there. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that facetiously yeah, yeah, yeah. to be a dick. Like, Danish covered it all, pretty much. Like, Yeah. My thing is, will this... Well, WB already said that they want to do this with more of their portfolio. Well, will this actually change their minds? Will this actually show them that, hey, maybe we shouldn't change all of our games into this live service nonsense? Like, maybe this is just a learning curve for them. I don't know if it'll be a change in strategy or if it's just something that they're like, oh, this is just bumping the road. Because David Zaslov 
has talked about in the past that they want to do this with more projects that they own. There's yeah. a lot of rumors swirling around about Warner Brothers potentially setting stuff up to make another sale of some sort. So who knows if they're just trying to make some quick bucks to make it more attractive to sell. So I don't know, man. It's one of those things that even though Suicide Squad looks like a disappointment, I'm not sure this means that Warner Brothers is going to go like, okay, so that must mean people just want single-player games. That's all we're going to do now. Because I just don't trust Warner Brothers. <laughs> and does that have to do with David Sazeloff? Yes. Yes. A lot of it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's a good reason. Like, top of the yeah. list, David Zaslov. Honestly, the only person I right now trust at Warner Brothers, the only two people, Peter Safran and James Gunn. And even those two, I'm going, okay, what can you really do? <laughs> like, I'm not confident in them turning around DC because of the people at the top who are making decisions like this. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what happens when a creative is stuck doing a, like building a whole universe. Uh, even Kevin Feige has fallen to the wayside, like con- trying to continue to build a Marvel Cinematic Universe while also dealing with the Marvel animations and the Marvel games and the Marvel comic books. Like, that's a lot. And James Gunn is now doing the same thing. It's like, man, that's not even, that's, that's not even funny, man. And he, this, going into movies, he's doing Superman Legacy as well. He's doing, yeah, he's doing Legacy. And uh, he's, he's already writing uh, a couple other movies. And he's also doing the uh, Peacemaker season two. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Peacemaker, yeah, so you got- assume he's probably going to be heavily involved in Waller. I don't know if he said who's doing the Waller show, but that Creature Commandos, you got to imagine he's heavily going to be involved in. You got to oh, imagine yeah. the Supergirl movie. So people get spread thin. So even, I don't yeah. know, we're not trying to turn nerds top movies here. We just get on this tangent. <laughs> but I think what you're trying to go with here, the avenue you're trying to go on, and I agree with you, is like you can have the most creative minds in the world making great stuff, but because they're dealing with so much, they're stretched thin. And that really yeah. opens up the door for executives at the top to be like, you know what makes a lot of money? Live service. Let's do that. <laughs> and then you got something... Uh, this that's not what happened with Suicide Squad. Just to be very clear, James Gunn came in a, like two years ago, I think, or because they could, because they could always do the multiverse thing. Because uh, James has already said anything outside of what I'm doing is Elf the Elseworld. World. So he's yeah. yeah, so he's pretty much already given them like, hey, you have free reign, which is cool. That hey, you can do whatever you want as Elf as Elseworld story. But like you said, you have Zaz out, uh, David, whatever Zeph. Malinakis, whatever the hell his name is, uh, you have him making some bold decisions, to say the least. And, you know, it's just, hey, James Gunn said we can do this. That's fine. But make sure you make it a game of service because I want all the money all the time. And again, that's not what we're saying happened with Suicide Squad because that game was in development for a long time afterwards. What you and I yeah, are this saying happen in is the future. Like, this, exactly, the future. This is like yeah. you're looking at games like Monolith's Wonder Woman. And now I'm concerned because I'm going, that looked like one thing, but after what David Zaslav said, (laughs) is it going to turn into a whole nother game, you know? I I hope not. So uh, do you know how many people are playing Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League right now via Steam? Is it less than what Danish said in the article? I think Danish said 600. Uh, Sort of. Under 600. Yeah, sort of. It's uh, 549 at the time of this recording. Wow. The yeah. game's had issues, too, very recently. A lot of bugs. Yeah. Although I, I will be interested to see come March uh, how the player base bounces back up when the Joker is released. Yeah, I think the game lost a lot of people early on. And for a live service, that is... We just talked about with uh, Skull and Bones, right? That's it's, detrimental. It's yeah, that's great. detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. And I paired both of those stories up because I found them strangely connected. And I have one last question before you get into the rest of the show. Skull and Bones and Suicide Squad are vastly different in so many ways. But they're both marketed as high-quality 
live service titles from established publishers who, quite frankly, should be putting out better quality on a regular basis. We've kind of talked about the live service a bit this year, along with the Xbox stuff, but we keep going back to it because it's been a popular topic around the industry here lately. Maybe it's because I haven't noticed it in past years, or maybe I'm looking too much into it and this has been happening every year, but it seems like 2024 has been a huge hit-or-miss year for live service slash early access games. And we're only at the tail end of February, <laughs> mind you. Uh, for every success like Pal World or Helldivers 2, we have flops like Skull and Bones and Suicide Squad. Hell, I'm not even a fan of Final Fantasy uh, as a franchise, but part of me is actually really pumped for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth simply because it'll add more vari variation to the current gaming news cycle. Getting back to my point, though, we've talked about the state of live service games already. we talked about what makes them appealing and honestly fun. We've also talked about why so many of them fail and how dicey they are not only at launch, but for long afterwards. So I don't really want to go back down that road. Instead, I want to talk about games like Helldivers 2 and Power World. While Helldivers 2 is only on PS5, console-wise, it's also on PC, developer Arrowhead Game Studios is an independent studio. Pocket Pair, the devs behind Power World, are also independent. Do you think there's a reason why we're seeing indie uh, studios have more success with these live service slash early access games compared to AAA gaming? Or do you think it's just a coincidence? And if so, by the way, do you think that... What do you think is appealing about these indie live service games? I think the appeal is that these indie live service games actually try they're not just chasing a trend. They're actually like, oh, hey, I like survival games or, hey, I like these kind of elements. Um, so, yeah, I can do something cool with these and they actually try. It's not just, hey, let's repeat what this game did. It's, hey, I like this. So let's see if we can put our own spin to it. And on top of that, because it is an indie project, a lot of people kind of feel that, okay, you're not putting millions of dollars into this. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, doing a Patreon or something, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I can pay a little bit now and help build this game up. And in the future, maybe become this cool big thing. And I could have been part of a community and that's what it is. It's a community. Uh, so I think the appeal is that people just feel like I'm helping build a game. I'm doing something for a small developer because a big developer probably didn't give them a chance or because they didn't have the access to billion dollar corporations, uh, bank accounts, so I think a lot of players just like the idea of building a community within a smaller uh, independent game. I can see that. I think there is something to the the indie live service-ish games. There's an extra layer of they're the little guy, you know? Mm -hmm. There's something about it that feels like you're investing in something. I think you can even go back, and yeah, it's epic games, but I think you can even go back to the early stages of Fortnite and the Battle Royale. I hate the early days out. of Fortnite. You know what I mean? Like With the early <laughs> stages yeah. of that Battle yeah, yeah. Royale, there was a feeling of PUBG were the kings and this Fortnite game that came out, and it was the thing where you were going, well, you know, it's pretty fun. It's pretty accessible. Let's try out this game because PUBG, I don't think at the time, was out on Xbox yet. I'm not even sure it was out on PlayStation yet. I think it was only PC at the time. And Fortnite was available on consoles. So there was a feeling that even then, they felt a little more underdogish. So I think there is something to like live service games just come across better from indie studios. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, I, that, that, you know what that might be is because people are kind of like, I like the little guy. Uh, I think let me, you're right. Let me clarify. Like I, I said that, I, and I realized that it was a dumb statement, considering I was just talking about Epic Games. No, it wasn't. Epic Games isn't an indie studio. It's a they're not, but massive, I don't think what you... Yeah, but at the time, you gotta just 
think of the context of what Fortnite was. It was a base builder, and it just came out with a battle royale. So just please, when you hear that, that's the context I meant to then. Sorry, Michael, to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I, th- I think what you said is is is, is a good comparison. Uh, because PUBG was that leading battle royale game. A lot of people even say like, "Oh, this is the reason that people are into battle royale." It's like, well, the calling came out before that, and the calling kind of like put everybody in that mood. And PUBG just did a much better job with it. And then Fortnite came along, and like you said, it was accessible. It was something that everybody could get into. It wasn't realistic. It was cartoony. It was fun. For a lot of people, not me. I hated it at first. I don't know what happened, but in the past couple of years, Fortnite has become so much more fun for me. And I think it is because of accessibility. I used to I used to like PUBG. Uh, I used to be a PUBG player. Uh, I went back recently, well, a few months ago, and I was like, wow, this isn't very fun to play anymore. It's not as accessible as Fortnite was. Uh, and because I was away from PUBG for so long, you do remember that learning curve that you had when you first started. It's like, wow, the learning curve in Fortnite is way easier to get over than it is in PUBG. And that's really strange to say, to be honest, because now everybody wants to be Fortnite. Uh, at, first, at first, it was everybody wants to be the calling in PUBG. Everybody wants to do the Battle Royale. And now everybody wants to be Fortnite because Fortnite is accessible and fun. Uh, so I think, and, and it's because they build a community. You know, that it, it didn't really start off big. Like you said, it started off as like uh, a tower defense where you build your defenses and that didn't work out too great. And it kind of threw this battle royale into the ring as a, hey, this is a limited time thing. We're going to shut all this down. It didn't work out and it turned out to be a big success. And I think it's because it, the accessibility allowed it to build a community. And I think that's one of the problems that a lot of live service games have. They go out to trends. They're not doing what, what PUBG did, what Fortnite is doing, or what some of these independent uh, uh, live service games are doing. They're building communities. And I think that's the key element for a live service game is to build a community because you need that player base. And so you need a community. And I think that's what these smaller studios uh, do so well is that they are able to create their own little community outside of the whole big quadruple A gaming that is Ubisoft. Yeah, I think you nailed it. But right again to our other stories of the week. Yes, let's do it. We are going to stick with our live service trend of games. And we're going to actually talk about Rainbow Six. As Rainbow Six Siege creative director doesn't think the game needs a sequel. While speaking in a group interview at Rainbow Six Siege Invitational 2024 in Brazil, transcribed by PC Gamer, shout out to them for that. The game's creative director, Alexander Capazzi, and I hope I said that right, talked up the game's current engine when it comes to the PvP shooter market, which probably comes across as a controversial statement as Siege players and as evidence in PC game article as well. Carpazis continued suggesting that switching engines or making a sequel to Siege would be more counterproductive for the game. Quote, The idea of switching engines to something that can be off-the-shelf ready simply doesn't answer the needs of a really competitive and demanding game like Siege. I'm not going to name names, but you see games that did go through sequels and just completely dropped the ball because they have to remake every single thing that they did in the first game. End quote. Well, I wonder what game he was referring to there, but back to the quote. Quote, it can be really frustrating, really costly, and in the end, it doesn't even give you anything that was a benefit. If you know what you have to begin with and you build it up, that is where we see success. And that is where we know we can take Siege into the future. End quote. Carpazis also talked about Siege's longevity going forward. And as you would imagine, by these quotes so far, he was pretty optimistic saying, quote, we really didn't know that this is a game that can last forever with the people and the talent and the tools that we have today, end quote. So Taylor, do you think Siege needs a sequel or at the very least something to freshen things up? I don't think Siege needs a sequel, but I do think it needs some kind of, I think the way you put it, right, a refresher. Some, at least to the engine itself. Because the game's graphics, I know it's not the end-all be-all, and you would rather have the gameplay be good. And I like Siege's gameplay. I, I think it's tactical, I think it's fun, it's very teamwork-oriented. 
Very toxic. Need to just throw that one out there. This is not a relaxing game to play. Uh, you want, <laughs> not, not in the slightest. <laughs> if you were somebody who wants toxic messages sent to you and saying how bad you are at video games, I'll tell you what, this is the game for you. Uh, especially if you're bad at it. Because <laughs> you're going to get them. Oh, and I'm terrible. But as a game itself, it's a pretty fun game. Its graphics, however, leave a lot to be desired. And um, I know the engine isn't the end-all be-all when it comes to graphics. It's a lot of things, including animations. But I think all that could be like upgraded as well. But I also see what he was talking about here with like, hey, but if we use those resources, we can't make more content because we're spending our time and resources on upgrading the engine and making or making a new game or something like that. And that's just counterproductive. And clearly, I think he was alluding to Overwatch 2 in that quote about... Uh, <laughs> We, you see games that go through sequels and just completely drop the ball because they have to remake every single thing that they did in the first game. Yeah, that, talking about Overwatch 2 there, fair point. And that's a case where a sequel just was not needed. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, as a former Overwatch player, I will definitely say if that's, if that was he, if that's what he was alluding to, I completely agree. Carpazzi's like, I, I get it. But at the same time, I think it needs some kind of refresher. Okay. Well, ah, oh man. See, that's, that's, that's kind of like the Cash 22 right there. Cause like you said, like when you do that, you do kind of put things on pause to like re- to freshen everything up. And we talked about live service games uh, in the past about how they have to be frequently updating, frequently changing, uh, frequently shifting for the player base. If you start making a sequel, that means you have to put your C team on the game. And is that something you really want to do that's going to hold players' attention until the sequel comes out? Not really sure. Um, us Overwatch players, when they were about to announce Overwatch 2, uh, we kind of noticed a lack of content, a lack of real changes in Overwatch 1. And it was kind of concerning for about a year. And then it's like, bam, we have Overwatch 2. It's like, oh, this is why we, were, we weren't getting anything new and cool, okay? And then the sequel came out, and it was utter garbage. It was trash. It was ass. It was not something that I wanted to play, and many others didn't want to play. Because you got to assume, whenever you're doing something like that, and you're going into a new sequel, or you're focusing on this like huge engine update, that you're putting so much manpower on that. Whereas oh, yeah, everybody who's left working on the game... That everybody's playing, they are basically, you would assume again, is just in let's not break it. <laughs> let's make sure that the game stays afloat. That's all we're trying to do. Let's just keep it running. Yeah. Without anybody noticing a difference and it doesn't break. Yeah, and that's that's always a tough thing to do because your player base you you talked about it earlier, how uh trying to keep the player base uh, from leaving right and unfortunately that's going to be something that you go through when your c team uh, is taking over the game and they're not updating fast enough or they're not giving the updates that the players want you'll see them leave and by the time the sequel comes out they're gonna be questioning well from where the first one was leaving off and leaving a bad taste in my mouth do i really want to deal with the sequel do i really want to play this are all of my stuff going to carry over? Do I have to start over with that? Like, <laughs> like not everything's going to be, uh, it's going to be like Call of Duty or Madden, where it's like, hey, yeah, you get the next version, but you have to start all over all your stuff, all your levels, all your players, all your skins, everything just goes away. Do you do that with the sequel? Uh, do you just start all over with season zero? Do you take everybody's rank away? Like, there's a lot you have to go through when you're doing a sequel to something like Siege, which has been around for, what, 10 years now? It's what, 2015? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that this game has been around for that long. Uh, it's the GTA of competitive shooters, so that's really cool. Um, so when you do a sequel, how much do you carry over? Because if you carry everything over, you're going to have people questioning, well, is it a real sequel? Like, isn't it just an update? He's like, yeah, it's an update. But do we charge them full price for it because it is a sequel? How do we monetize it? 
What does that do we change? What has changed? And for the players who are still playing Rainbow Six Siege 1, uh, what happens to them? Do we leave them behind? Do we keep the C team over there? Do we allow them to play with the Rainbow Six Siege 2 players who have the upper hand because maybe we've changed plenty to where the gameplay isn't the same? Like there's so much you have to go through and think about that just doing a simple sequel isn't going to cut it. Overwatch 2 is proof of that. Yeah. And you talked about things being a catch-22. It's just, you're damned if you change a lot, and you're damned if you don't. And Overwatch 2 is a case of <laughs> really both. Yeah. When you think yeah, about it. Because yeah. it's a game that both changes a lot and little. It's Schrodinger's game. It's a sequel, but not really. Because <laughs> they yeah, change the 5v5 so and take out a lot of stuff and change a lot of characters and the way they work. But at the same time, they're the same characters. A lot of them are the same maps. Yep. So it feels like it's just Overwatch with a new coat of paint. While yeah, Overwatch 1.5. And a lot of the changes were met with skepticism, to put it mildly. And I think as harsh you can go is hostility. Uh, <laughs> with some <laughs> okay. of the reception well, as the well. The hostility came from the whole 2FA and you have to give us rights to your voice recordings and stuff like that. Yeah. They, 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 they changed some things up for security It becomes reasons. a thing where what do you do for a sequel? What all do you implement? What do you take away? What do you add? All that stuff. It's not as simple as like what, for example, what I said at the beginning of this, like, yeah, I think the graphics could be improved and maybe you improve animations as well. You just can't do that and call it a day. Because that also changes yeah. what the game is, period. And what you said about, like, if it is a new game, what happens to people on the old game? Because they can't be playing with people in Siege 2 or whatever the hell it would be called. Does the old game stay up? You don't want to take it away because we saw what happened with Overwatch. Overwatch has become a great blueprint of what not to do with a live service multiplayer game that's hugely successful. Yeah, that's not something you want to hear. <laughs> Your favorite yeah. game with the blue, but it's of when you read <laughs> these quotes here and you're like, you know what? I don't fully agree with you, but I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's hard for me to actually be like, oh no, I still want a sequel though. I want all these upgrades, but you hear what Carpazzi says and you're just going, it's fair, I get it. Like, you don't want to be like Overwatch 2. You're seeing a game yeah. crash or burn in real time and you're going, it's still working for us. Why would we change? Yeah, that 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 is, gosh, dog man, that, that's that's gonna suck. And I don't think a lot of six siege players are actually looking for a sequel. I think it's just people who are like, oh man, maybe if it's a sequel, they'll do something new. I think people want improvement. It's not a sequel. Yeah. I think it's just improvement on some of the, on the finer formula. details. Yeah. But, and that kind of sucks because, you know, if they really did make those changes, it wouldn't feel like Rainbow Six Siege anymore. <laughs> and you're going to have players like oh, like Overwatch players like, hey, go back to the old version. Just, yeah, you tried it. It sucks. We don't like it. Go back. It's like, well, you can't just press a button. It's not, it's not, I can't just press control Z and undo what I did, man. Like, that's a lot of coding and a lot of like, a lot of statistics we have to go through and logistics we have to go through. Like, it's not that simple. So yeah, I, I actually, I agree with him. I like what he said. It was like, hey, we already know where we want this game to be. You know, this is what happens when you actually listen to your fans. It's like, hey, yeah, we hear you. And based on your past feedbacks and the stuff we're doing and the way that you're all staying engaged, the, 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 the changes we would make would go against everything that you actually want us to do. So instead, we're going to stick with this and keep giving you content rather than just trying to change the game up to where it's something different. You know, I wish more studios would do that. I wish they would just see. That's why I'm glad we don't have a Fortnite 2. You know, I'm glad that they tried to stick with it. It's like, hey, let's just keep improving what we have now. Let's keep pushing what we have now and see how far we can go. I'd rather have that. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree. But are you ready to get into our next story? I didn't mean to just like brush through what you said there. But I feel like we've kind of <laughs> well, exhausted the Rainbow Six Siege conversation and uh, really want to talk about this next one. Yeah, yeah, it's because, you know, it's a live service game. It, it, it really does sound like we're just repeating ourselves because while each one is different, 
in the end, they're all life service and they all kind of fall in the same boat. Yeah. But all right, let's talk about something that's not life service. Let's talk about something that you and I both love. Remedy. Remedy has acquired the full rights to the Control franchise. This was announced by Remedy, who stated, quote, Today, Remedy Entertainment PLC Remedy and 505 Games SPA or 505 Games announced a transaction upon which all publishing, distribution, marketing, and other rights to Control, codenamed Condor, Control 2, and all future Control products will revert to Remedy. The Control franchise is in the core of Remedy. Having acquired the full rights to Control, Condor, and Control 2, Remedy is now in a position to make the right product and business decisions focusing on long-term franchise growth. End quote. Uh, but yeah, man, this is a big deal. Uh, Remedy is a fantastic company. And to, to, to know that they have more control over their franchises, especially since uh, Control and Alan Wake are connected in the same universe, I don't know, man. That seems pretty awesome to me. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, because I think it shows like Remedy, and I know I didn't think they were, but I think it really hammers home that like Remedy is not gonna let up on the gas pedal here. That they had the success of Alan Wake too, and they're like, nope, we we're gonna keep going. What's next? Control. We're gonna do more with Control. Control two. What's next for the franchise? You said the thing about Alan Wake and Control being in the same universe. That's been talked about for a while. And I think they had, didn't they have DLC, I think, as well? They connected it to? Uh, Control. I, I it was like Control sure. AW or I, I something forget. like that. Uh, so. Yeah, I forget. I forget. I forget what it was, but there was uh, something within. It's besides the point, though, because it just shows, like, hey, Remedy is not going to just rest on the laurels here. They've had all the success with Alan Wake too, and they're going like, "All right, here's what's next. Let's go." Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, I'm so happy about this, man, because you know, for anybody who's who's been listening to this podcast for a while, you know how much I love Remedy, uh, especially Alan Wake. Alan Wake Two was my game of the year for 2023. Uh, I did like Control. Uh, I got to review Control. That was pretty cool, including the DLC. So, hey, Remedy. Thanks for that. That was a few years ago, of course, but still, it's actually still pretty cool that I got a chance to be a part of something like that. Uh, loved Control. I'm interested in Condor, because if I remember correctly, that's their multiplayer or their co-op game uh, that they were doing. And Control 2, I'm interested in seeing where they go with that. And I want to see what they do with Alan Wake, because Alan Wake is still one of my favorite games. Um, I really... I really wish they would do something with Max Payne. I'm still waiting for Max Payne 1 and 2 remake. Like, I'm so excited for this. Uh, but I, 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 I'm I, ready for this, man. I'm ready for Remedy to go full-blow multiverse, do whatever it takes to get their crazy ideas out there where they mix movies and TV shows and video games together. I want an entire Remedy universe. So having them take control, no pun intended, of their franchise makes me so happy that this is even closer to reality. Yeah, I second everything you just said. What this this there's not a whole lot to get into with this story. There's really not. Like we didn't there's not like a whole live service conversation or talk about whether Siege needs a sequel. This is one of those stories that's like, man, yeah, that's really cool. Can't wait to see what Remedy does. But anyways, you know, it's just you're excited about it, but yeah, man, we can't really dive into it because we don't fully know what the future is going to hold but at least now we do know it's in remedy's hands full stop yes all creative freedom i love it for better or worse <laughs> hey, hey for look, better uh, i'm not saying remedies <laughs> they're geniuses like they're well they are I, I think they are when it comes to innovation and how they want to tell a story yeah but being a genius in that sense doesn't mean you're going to hit on everything you're doing you're gonna have some missteps they're not perfect when it comes to writing staffs or ideas or whatever they've had missteps trust me but and even their missteps are more creative than a lot of that's what i was gonna kind of get to is like that's the one thing i've always respected about remedy in the same way that i respect hideo kojima 
I know it See, gets I was made, actually going to say that made fun of, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, Hideo Kojima's a genius because he had Metal Gear and he had made that game where you walk all over the place. It's like, yeah, but the dude takes risks. How, like, how many times in yeah, the gaming yeah. industry do we see studios and developers who just they're they're scared to take a risk? And Remedy, yeah. whether you like them or you don't, the one thing you can say is, man, they try. They try. Oh, yeah, to they're do always something trying different. something. And I yeah, think it's the it's same so thing cool. with Kojima there. And I think that's why I compared the two. Is like you can tell a vision is being shared there. You know, I was actually going to say, uh, Remedy for me is Hideo Kojima for you. I know how much you love his stuff and how you're just like, hey, I want Hideo Kojima to just go balls to the walls of this storytelling. I want people to tell him no sometimes. And I mean- <laughs> Remedy needs that too. That's the thing. Like Remedy needs somebody to tell them that might not work. Let, let's see. Okay. Let's not go all in to be on honest, this concept. Look, I, man, see, that sucks because. When it comes to Kojima and Remedy, I actually don't want anybody to tell them no. Uh, now, do I think they need editors sometimes? Oh, absolutely. I think Hideo Kojima, especially some of his dialogue, it's like, hey, somebody get in there that Hideo know that, hey, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, let's clean this up a little bit. Let's rearrange this. So do they need like an editor to kind of come in and reel them in? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. You need somebody to basically reel them in a bit. Like, and yeah, what's funny is I don't think they're connected in any kind of way. I don't think Remedy and Kojima have ever interacted, <laughs> but they do feel so similar in that sense that it's like they're very yeah. creative as one developer to an entire studio. And man, can you believe if those if, if those two studios, Remedy and Kojima Production, like co opt on like a like on a on, like on a multiverse game to where it was crazy. Remedy. Pre- yeah, Remedy presents a, Kodi- a Kojima game, and then there's like a, a second. I think it would kind of fit together like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, absolutely. And the second half could be Hideo Kojima or Kojima Productions presents a Remedy game. It's like, it'll be so cool. Kind of like what uh, Street Fighter and Tekken was trying to do a long time ago, if you ever remember that. Uh, Street Fighter by Tekken and Tekken by Street Fighter. It was supposed to be a really cool crossover kind of thing to where it was Tekken versus Street Fighter. The Tekken team would make a Street Fighter game. And the Street Fighter team will make a Street Fighter versus Tekken game. And it was such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, man. I kind of want Kojima and uh I mean Kojima Productions and Remedy to just come together and do that. Like that'll be, that'll be cool. that'll be some balls wild storytelling right there. <laughs> hey Jeff Keeley, you got connections. Make that happen, man. <laughs> bring bring them together during the next during the next uh game award show. But let's talk about one more story. And yes, we're going to leave this on a bit of a good spot. Ex-Call of Duty developer David Vonderhaar, and I really do hope I said that name right, is heading up a new studio. Michael, I think you crushed that name. Oh, did I? I sure hope so. I might be completely wrong. So. I'm speaking out of ignorance, but that, that <laughs> sounds <laughs> Well, that makes two perfect. of us. Uh, well, I, I really do hope that it sounded right. <laughs> so, because for anybody who's new to the show, me and Taylor are bad with names. We are terrible. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it was announced via a recent NetEase blog post. We're going to be reading off of the Nurse Dash's article on the story, which was written by, hey, would you look at that? Danish again. So here we go. Quote. David Vonderhaar, a veteran developer on Call of Duty Black Ops, has opened up a new studio called Bullet Farm, focusing on AAA game development in partnership with NetEase. The new studio is being touted as a remote-first game development company and will operate from Los Angeles, California. Having left Treyarch last year during the summer, Vonderhaar had been part of Call of Duty series since the original game in 2003. It has a long career. He has worked on eight games in the franchise and played a pivotal role in directing the multiplayer modes of almost all Call of Duty games. Vonderhaar will act as the creative director of Bullet Farm and will be joined by Chris Cowell, who has also worked on multiple Call of Duty games including Warzone, Black Ops, and Modern Warfare 2019, the good Modern Warfare. Oh, that's me, by the way. That's not from the article. I should make that, I should make that clear. <laughs> now, we need to clarify this further. You mean the good Modern Warfare in this new trilogy, right? In the new trilogy, 2019, yeah. 
I need you to clarify the first Modern Warfare is a good game. Because if not, we're going <laughs> to no, have a different conversation. No, they're great. Okay. Just, oh, no, yeah, no, we're we're going to have a different conversation either on air or off air after this story. And you're going to be like, <laughs> Call of Duty 4 sucked. And I'm like, wait, man, this goes against everything I thought I knew about you. No, man, I know I loved Modern Warfare 1 and 2, the originals, and Modern Warfare 2019, the other two. Uh, but that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, let's get back to this. Let's yes, continuing uh, Danish's uh, <laughs> article, NetEase also announced that Bullet Farm is already working on a new and ambitious AAA game that will be made using Epic Games' Unreal Engine 5. The game will, of course, be an original IP and will focus on cooperative gameplay. Needless to say, the new title will be a first-person experience, but the studio is promising a fresh take on first-person games. We've heard that before with EA's Immortals of Avium. The first-person shooter genre is already saturated, and with Bullet Farm's lofty goals, it will be, it will have to shake things up and make something original yet familiar to succeed. According to Vonderhaar, the new studio will let him step out of his comfort zone and be more creative. Bullet Farm's new AAA game will focus more on relatable and likable characters, intimate storytelling, and of course, action-focused first-person gameplay. Since the studio just started out, the announcement of the actual game is likely years away. But in an industry teeming with layoffs, it's good to see a new studio popping up and creating opportunity for more developers. End quote. Well, Taylor, this is actually a pretty cool story right here. It is kind of nice to know that some of these developers are starting their own uh, companies now. Hopefully, they will be able to pick up a lot of experienced people uh, that have been recently laid off. So what do you think of this new studios or at least the announcement that they're making lofty goals for triple a games for their first title do you gotta shout out the shot that danish took towards immortals of avium <laughs> oh we heard that before with ea's immortals oh, of man. Avium. i was like damn that came out of nowhere i'm sorry uh <laughs> talking about this here it's a little bit like the remedy story to me to where it's one of those things that's like yeah it's really cool that's about it yeah. <laughs> like, because we got nothing to go on. There's no game to talk about. It is, like you said, really cool to see a longtime developer who has went out and done their own thing, and now we are seeing what that's going to be. I think that's really good for the industry as a whole. Hopefully, this ends up working for uh, Vanderhaar or Vanderhaar. I messed up the name. Yeah, I, I really do hope they create something really cool. I, I kind of hope they do a, a Hell Divers 2 kind of thing to where it comes out of nowhere and it's just like so much fun because it is focusing on the actual fun and not just, oh, let's chase a trend. Uh, I like the idea that, hey, I can get out of my comfort zone and I have the freedom to do more creative things. Like, okay, I love when studios decide that, hey, we're going to do something different. We're going we're gonna to change things up because we've been doing this for over a decade we've been doing this for years of creating the same game uh yeah let's do something that we're familiar with we're familiar with first person shooters but let's do something cool with it. let's do something interesting let's do something strange and so i'm really excited to see what bullet farm uh comes with this and i really do hope that they become the new uh the new first person studio because respawn was made from ex call of duty uh developers and Respawn is one of the coolest, most creative uh, studios out there right now. So I'm yep. hoping Bullet Farm becomes another Respawn. That's lofty goals, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. And hey, uh, Respawn, they hit it out the park with Titanfall. <laughs> and I instantly fell in love with Respawn because Titanfall was my game. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, they Bullet Farm can do something that's just so left field that you're like, oh, whoa, I'm keeping my eyes on this studio. This might become my new favorite studios. So, uh, Taylor, is there anything else you want to add on about Bullet Farm and their new studio? Nah, I think that's about it. Really excited to hear whatever they're going to do in the future. But, like it was said in the Nerd Stash article, gotta imagine it's going to be a long time before we hear anything about it. Yeah, it's going to be a while. Well, with that said, let's go ahead and get out of here. Taylor, what are you playing? I am still playing Power World. And I am about to be playing Dead Island 2 because it dropped on Game Pass. I'm not getting the chance to play oh, it yet. Oh, yeah. This is a game that quickly became... You know, I'm going to say it. 
it became our favorite game to talk about on PowerPoint Game for months <laughs> because you and I both felt some kind of way about Dead Island 2. And that some kind of way was just pure apathy towards it. And then we saw the gameplay for it, and you and I just, I, I, it was so organically just like, this is the best game I've seen in a while. And we were kind of being a little facetious about it, like it wasn't the absolute best, but man, it looked really fun. It looked like a genuine sequel, and we just did not expect it to look that good. And while when the game came out, the reception around it was like, it's, it's a perfect 7 out of 10 game. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. I'm fine with that. We need 7 out of 10 games. And then there's nothing wrong with that. So if I play it and I'm like, man, you know what? They were right. This is a 7 out of 10. I'd be more than thrilled. So I can't wait to get into it, see what the game's all about, play with some Wolverine claws. But Those claws suck. Well, you played it? Yeah, I played a lot of, I played a bit of it last night. I played like two, three hours of it last night. How are you liking it? 7 out of 10 is just about right. I'm playing with Jacob right now. And, uh, he's, he's a fun character. Um, the card system is a little iffy, uh, but once you get used to it, it's like, okay, I can see why you added in to try to change things up to like have everybody have their own play style so that all the characters don't play the exact same, which I'm completely okay with because that's one of the problems that we've had before. It's like all these characters play the exact same, um, but the AI isn't bad. Uh, I just got done with my first boss fight. It was okay, and I'm afraid that's the thing about the whole game of Dead Island 2. It's okay. It's not a bad game. Uh, it's not a great game. It has its moments of fun. And uh, even though it has, it still has that element of, oh, uh, weapons breaking stuff, I feel that it's actually very lenient with it. Like, you actually, I, sometimes I forget, like, oh, yeah, my weapon's about to break. It takes a while. So I'm like, you know what? This isn't a terrible system. Uh, so even though I hate those kind of systems, it didn't annoy me because I would often forget that, oh, yes, my weapon is close to breaking. And you just switch to a slightly different weapon. So you, it, you, don't, you don't feel like you're at a loss. But yeah, it's, it's okay. It's not bad. Uh, it's definitely something that you're supposed to play with friends because by yourself, you could definitely feel the, uh, the loneliness in it. So <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird. Yeah, again, it's just one of those things that I'm not expecting all too much, and I am just perfectly happy with exactly what you explained there. If that's the experience I have with it, I'm more than happy. I'm not expecting this to blow me away or be a huge disappointment. So, can't wait to get yeah. into it. What else are you playing, though, this week? Well, as for me, I am playing Dead Island 2, uh, <laughs> as I just recently uh, told you. But I'm also playing and reviewing a game called The Thaumaturge. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that game. Uh, it's a dark fantasy turn-based RPG strategy game, uh, isometric, where you play a character that is known as a thaumaturge. I'm sorry, it's the way I say it because it's such You're a weird word it. for me. I, okay, I, I'm going to need you to take one more crack at it. Thaumaturge. Okay. T-H-A-U-M-A-T-U-R-G-E. And trust me, the only way, the only reason I even know how to say it is because they say it a lot in the game. <laughs> Anytime your character introduces himself, I'm a thaumaturge. This is why we have the disclaimer. The, <laughs> along with what I was saying about like, yeah, I screwed up David Vanderhaar's name and just yeah. how we are with names and all the takes that we sometimes yeah, yeah. do. Whenever we're doing this show, whether I leave them in yeah. the show or not, that is another example of why we have that disclaimer. Just got to say, because I would do the yeah, same Yeah, we're thing. terrible. We're not smart people. <laughs> this is why we do this. Uh, but yeah, I've been playing that. Uh, the game comes out on March 4th, and I'll have a review ready for that. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been playing. I've been playing a game to review, and I've been playing Dead Island 2. Uh, so with that said, Taylor, what are you working on, and where can the people find you? Not working on a whole lot other than these podcasts here. You could find me in our Discord, the link for which is in the description of this very episode. But, Michael, what are you working on, and where can people find you? Well, as for me, as I said before, I am working on my review for The Thaumaturge, 
And you can also find me on X, aka Twitter, at M underscore M O S L E Y underscore J R. You can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash foxdaddy. That's F zero X D A D D Y. And next week, when the game releases on March 4th, I will be playing the Thaumaturge uh, <laughs> live on Twitch. So if you're interested in that game, check it out. All right. So with that said, Thank you, Taylor, for joining me, for having me here. And everybody, whether this is your first time or your 1,000th time, thank you for joining us. And seriously, go join our Discord. You can find that in the description. Our Discord is pretty cool. Come join us. Come talk to me and Taylor. Let Taylor know that he's completely wrong about everything that you hear him say on the podcast. So with that said, we will see you all next time.